seeing Jesus as never before. A new desire arose within me after the living God. I knew there is more to God than I have ever known. I was dissatisfied with my knowledge of Jesus. There was a constraint for more of Him within me. My very soul tests after the depth of Jesus. I want a divine disclosure of the glory and power of God than ever before. Nothing can satisfy this hunger except God Himself. If Jesus Christ is the Lord, there is more to Him than I have ever gleaned in the past. I had read my Bible for more than 20 years. I know that Jesus is the Savior. I know that He is the Christ. I know that He died. I know that He was buried and that He rose again. I know that He is seated at the right hand of God, but despite my soul cry out for more after the living God, not for power or anointing or fame or more graces, there is something on the inside that rose so I desperately panting the glorious essence of God. This hunger must be God, like Jesus Christ was driven to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. So I went out after God more than ever before, praying, fasting, studying, and searching the scriptures. It was rigorous, but it was worth it. I had to start afresh, write out the very words of the scriptures in my notes, not the references, but the very text of the scriptures. I searched for books and materials that could satisfy the yearning in my soul, but I found none. Not that there were no books that talk about Christ, but none could fill the gap within the depth of my soul. It was God himself calling after me like Jesus Christ beckoned on those illiterate Galileans. None could quiet my hunger after God, even my former and casual commitment in the Lord's service. So I began to pray. I was really hungry. I got a notebook, wrote out all the scriptures I had known about Jesus Christ in ten parts. I wrote out all the scriptures I know about God and the new creatures. I was fascinated because I found out later that I didn't actually know, most, know much as I have thought I known. I didn't just memorize those scriptures I wrote out, but I saw that I have not really known nothing much about Jesus, but what I have read according to the preachers and what I have preached for years myself. When we preach or talk or teach about Jesus Christ most often, we place emphasis on the minor and neglect the major. Our knowledge of God and of His presence are dwindled greatly, are dwindled, are dwindled greatly these days because we had never sought God for ourselves apart from that. Apart from what we have heard from senior ministers, we called the fathers of it. We have never been so hungry for him. We don't care to know about how the life of Jesus has affected our lives and how we should reflect his life consequently. Except we come to the urgent need for more of God and the need to find out who Jesus Christ is to us in an intimate way, we won't excel in our adventure in God. Beside my, beside my personal effort to re-encounter God, I called for prayer retreat. We entreated the Lord to show us Himself. We told Him the nature of things with us, that our eyes are growing dimmer and we need to be enlightened again. God honored our cry. For the first time in my 25 years of working with Jesus, I saw God and His Word in a new light like Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians, that the eyes of understanding being enlightened, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the depth of God. Actually, as we prayed, our, our eyes was flooded with light. 
That was our experience after that prayer. This must happen to every one of us in our adventure with God. Apostle John, the Revelator, wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave his angel to show to his servant. This is my goal that you will come to the point that there will be disclosure of God to you. There is only one goal where we have come to know God and that is to know him through and through. A.W. Toza wrote, God is a person and can be known in increasing degrees of intimate acquaintance. As we prepare our hearts for the wonder, it may be necessary for us to alter our former beliefs about God as His glory that glides the sacred scriptures dawns over our interior lives. We may also need to break quietly and graciously with the lifeless textualism that prevails among the gospel churches and to protect the frivolous character of much that passes for Christianity amongst us. By this, we may for the time lose friends and gain a passing reputation for being holier than thou. But no man who permits the expectation of unpleasant consequences to influence him in a matter like this is fit for the kingdom of God. Reflection May we come into such grace that may Jesus Christ our Lord is sacked his power and authority over nature without being worn out. May we enjoy such intense dimension of God. He enjoyed that he could walk on water. May we come to such anointing and grace that may the wind and the storm obey him. In the name of Jesus, we request this. The Jesus you never knew. Watchmani wrote, According to God's desire, plan and redemption, he has ordained that the Son, our Lord Jesus, will be all spiritual matters and things. When a man touches him, he touches the reality of all spiritual matters and things. After a man gains him, he gains all the spiritual matters and things that God has prepared for him. But man has replaced him with many, but man has replaced him with so many called spiritual things. Although these many things in man's eyes belong to him, they are nonetheless not him. Rather, they are a replacement of him. Therefore, they do not render man real help in a spiritual life. Who have you met? Who have you touched? Who have you known? Is it Christ or is it something else? If it is Christ, we are touching the, re the reality that God has ordained for us. If it is something else, no matter how good and valuable, we are merely touching vain and unpredictable and unprof unprofitable things. Today, Christ is in the Spirit. In order to touch Him, we must be in the Spirit. We can see our mind. We can use our mind to touch the things which are apart from him. But in order to touch him, we have to use the spirit. In order to touch the things that are apart from him, we only need human zeal and cleverness. But in order to touch him, we need God's revelation. We have to look to him for his mercy and grace. Those that God had prepared for a special work in their generation are always men called apart. They have always had a silent part of their lives, namely loneliness and separation. They fear this more at some point in their lives, but that is the progressive way into God. And anyone who must walk with God and walk with Him sincerely must touch this lonely part. If it is God leading you down the road, then like the disciples ran into Christ on their way to Emmaus, Christ will soon be encountered on your path too. Why saint walk alone? The saint works alone because he is always with the father. Aaron and the other priests and the children of Israel could be having a great time at the base of the, of the Mount Sinai. Moses could not. He was right in the glory, right before God. 
he was there in that thick presence, trembling at the awesomeness and the terribleness of God. But when he came back, none could look at him. But then he paid the price for that burning glory he saw and he carried. He was abandoned before God for months. That spiritual exercise was not for nothing. From his long stay with the Almighty, he caught the revelation of how men who lived long before him lived their lives. Was it in a vision or, or in a narrative? No one knows. But we know that God allowed him to paint the narrative from creation to the time he lived in. That was a living miracle and proof that Moses really had an encounter with a living substance called God. That is one of so many that is one of the so many benefits of divine intercourse with the father the writer of the book of hebrews testified of moses's experience on the blazing mountain he wrote so terrible was the sight that moses said i exceedingly fear and quake hebrews 12 21 time and experiences in god your walk with god is a journey it demands time to be alone with him it is time consuming but it is worth it. It started the day you decided to submit to the Lordship of Christ over your life and it won't end until your lifetime is spent. There are times God will call you apart like he did call Moses. There are times God will call you apart like he did with Moses. There are times he will demand intensified devotion and prayers, study, meditation, evangelism. There are also times they may be there may be less of this, but you must be sure in working with God, you have no breaks. You have no retirement. You will retire from public service or ministry, but no one retires from God or his fatherly dealings. That treatment remains ongoing until you meet his person. It is good you settle this fact so that you won't be discouraged and then later begin to navigate after other things. The Lord himself declares to you from the very beginning of the journey, I am a jealous God. He simply wants to tell you that in working with him, you won't only give him your best, but that your all will also be demanded, even when it seems difficult. So, guide up your loans and take thy staff in thy hand and go, and go thy way. Every man and woman God has used, and those he will use, have always had a time of struggle with God. What was that all about? There was a period in their life in their work with God when God does not allow them to keep friends any longer. There was a time in their work with God when the Lord does not allow them to sleep the way and time they wanted. The time the Lord won't allow them live the way they wanted. Those are some of the prices to pay to walk the deep sea with Christ. The earlier saint had no less dealings. It had been a while the apostle had known and followed Christ. Actually to some degree. They had known Christ to some extent. They had been to his house, probably eating with him, and Christ the Lord will pay them visits in their workstations. In their relationship with Christ, they had seen strange things about him and his ministry. They found out things about him not common or peculiar to human. So they knew that Christ was quite a special and powerful one, the only one God had promised the prophet. But none of this awaited them in their future they knew that christ was quite special and powerful 
but more of this await them in their future. You see, it is one thing to stay around the sacred and it's another to experience their essences by implication. It is one thing to walk with Christ, it is still another thing to know Him by revelation, the essence of spiritual experiences. There is a Christ that can be described by His acts, but there is another that can only be encountered and reviewed or experienced. Here are the disciples. They won't doubt Jesus' power over nature and diseases. They had no doubt about his ability to teach and convince people. They knew that no demon can stand him. They knew no redo or question disturb him. But they hadn't known him intimately by his real identity. All they knew about his family background was that he was a Jew. His father was Joseph. His mother was Mary. They knew his siblings. But they never knew his glorified person until one day. Just three of them walk into the Christ they never known before. There is a dimension of God you never, you have never touched. However, your spiritual experiences right now, there are still depths you may not know until you flame off from the inside to seek Him. In Matthew chapter sixteen, Jesus Christ told the disciples that Peter claimed of Him as the Christ was by a revelation, the revelation that was given by God. Peter had been able to get that spiritual perspective from the Father. Flesh and blood hadn't revealed this to you but my Father in heaven, Jesus Christ told his disciples. The point is that it takes a revelation to know the glory and the person of Christ. It is good we spend time in God's presence, the longer the better, but the truth remains that, that the Christ that is not revealed cannot be known. Wonder Jesus Christ said, no one knows the Father but the Son. No one knows the Son but the Father, and to whom the Father will reveal him. Matthew 11, 27. Revelation awaits discovery. Here is the confrontation today. Our greatest pride is not in our property. It is not in our degrees. It is not in our awards. It is not in our accolades. It is not also in our titles. It is not also in our connections, in our world, in in the things we have acquired as property, it is not in our necklaces, it is not in how well-read we are, it is not in our mental ingenuity, it can be found in what we wear or, or in what we don't, it is not in what we have or what we do not have. Our greatest pride is not in our physical expression, it is not in our beauty, it is not placed in our beautiful houses and children, nor is it placed in our handsome countenances. Hallelujah. We have something more spiritual. We have, more, we have something more superior, something more enduring than all this. Our pride, our glory, our sources, our pursuit, our attainment, our stability, all is rooted in our knowledge of God. The Father himself said, Let him that take a brag, take his or a brag in this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the truth, that I am the justice, and I give justice and give the truth. What an heritage we have got in God. This is our God revealed. This is our heritage. Hallelujah. Bless God forevermore. The experience of some of the, the experience of some of the apostles was intensified as seen in chapter 17 of the gospel according to Matthew. God was willing to take them into the revelation of his son far beyond what Peter revealed. They have heard that Christ is the Son of God. Then the time came for them to experience his identity with the Father. The day came when the Father revealed Christ to the Apostle, but it was unfortunate that not every one of them was present but a few, namely Peter, James and John. But 
how fortunate were they that day. Peter and his colleagues couldn't believe their minds. Couldn't believe their minds. It was not that they hallucinated. It was God glorifying his son, flowing extremely outside of him. Christ literally allowed the Father to flow out of him in such a wave of current and illumination the disciples were not acquainted with neither have they seen in anyone before it was god's will to expose who the son is that very day and yet again peter's was father's mouthpiece he bargained a curtail of the presence he wants the glory of christ to remain with him peter was seen and others present on the mountain along with him Christ was transfigured for the first time they were enlightened to be transfigured means to be altered to change these changes can happen a lot of ways but Christ's own was by a transparent glory he shone from inside out like the Sun in his strength it was not that it was not that it was not what it was not what was of Christ's clothes that mattered to the apostles, but of the glory they can stand. So like Moses and those who had seen revelations, they covered up their faces. That is a Christ they had never known. And like Christ had told them earlier in his teachings, such kind of the Savior is not taught in any school of theology. It's not taught in any church. It's not just preached from the pulpit. He is revealed from that particular day those four apostles carried a new light of christ than the rest of the other apostles although they remain in the same fold they remain the disciples of jesus altogether however their understanding of christ was never at the same degree this fast remain the same today the grace is spiritual knowledge the way of divine revelation is an highway it is not a lowland Eagles don't eat in low places. They are conceived and battered in the cleft of rocks and sometimes on high and mighty trees. Knowing God is an upward act. It will demand climbing. It will demand our attention and energy. It will demand sleepless nights. It will demand denial of food, of good complaint, of fun. But the value of pressing to Christ and seeing Him is far past any glory we may think of. God lives in the eyes and those who seek Him must be ready to crawl out of time and then presses and then press into that height, into that depth, into that width, into that breadth. It is not going to be a wasteful toiling. It is the greatest and the best task anyone can set upon because it rewards the most however demanding taste. We must not seek God's presence, however, for reward alone. We must not seek God's presence, God's revelation, God's glory for the reward of it alone, but for the very excellence God meant it for, that others may come into the knowledge of the truth of things as contained in God, that we may come to the place of oneness with the Father. Fellowship is very important in our work with God, and the goal of our relationship with the Father is fellowship. The goal of fellowship is intimacy. The goal of intimacy is oneness. When the Lord calls us to walk with Him, when He calls us to walk closer with Him, He intends to afford Himself to us a little more than we have known in past. That's why we have believers with different knowledge of God at different levels. We are all saved and redeemed by Jesus' blood, but our understanding of Christ differs. We have the depth of Him on different degrees or different levels in our work with Him. However, 
those who have little knowledge of the Father can try to have one, Christ told us how this is possible. The Father will reveal it. He will so desire of Him to reveal Himself to us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. How were the other disciples able to have a better revelation and comprehension of Christ? The scripture says Christ led them. Christ led them. While Peter, James, and John were having a revelation of Christ, their contemporaries had never had with Christ before. Their fellow disciples were very busy somewhere else struggling with a demon that they couldn't cast out until Christ came and deal with the matter. They were somewhere else struggling with a demon that won't live, that won't obey them, that won't listen to them until Christ comes. How much we waste our energy in things that would have cost no energy if we had spent more time with the Father. We need to press into God and all there is in Him and all there is in His Christ. That is the way to have all of God as Christ has purchased for us. This is the way of spiritual knowledge and growth. Christ himself must lead us as he led his own first disciples. The scripture says he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Christ led them to the mountain but they were willing to go with him. They were not forced. They chose to go with him. They were not forced. They chose to go with him. They went by themselves. The scripture states, why were the other disciples not with Christ? We don't really have a knowledge of what had happened. We don't really have a knowledge of what made them stay back. We don't really have a knowledge of that which makes them stay back. But we know why Peter, James and John was with Christ. They were willing to go with Christ. That's the first secret of coming to a deeper revelation of God. It won't be by an accident. We must be deliberate. We must seek Him. It was when the Mary sought to anoint the body of Christ after his death that he saw the risen Christ. We won't know God accidentally. We must. If we must know him, it must be by deeper hunger than we had than we had some time ago. We must hunger for God if we want to experience him again. And this hunger must be pursued. The first of all creation. Christ is the first of God in everything. The first among the dead. The first born of creation. The first, the first to demonstrate God in a real dynamic, unusual way. You see, Jesus' life was God-smoothed, so to speak. I mean a pattern of what our lives should be. That is why God made him the first begotten and the first of all things. God wants us or anyone confused about life to look at the life of Christ and find comfort and direction. So he demonstrated Christ as a revealer of him. And not just that, he demonstrated Christ as a revealer and as a pattern for us to follow. Christ is our model. He is the one who defines life and is purpose to us. So Christ and so Christ's life and ministry was a demonstration of what is possible in a life that is connected to God by his grace. Jesus Christ has such power to command the attention of nature. He could speak and the sea and the boisterous wind will obey him. Such a supernatural command caught the attention of both his audience as much as it caught the attention as much as it caught the attention of his disciples and even we today. They have read of great apostles, great prophets, great judges, giants and warriors, good valiant, but none had recorded Jesus' track. So through the help 
of the Holy Spirit, the disciples wrote just a tip of what they witnessed and what they have heard people say of the Christ and what they had provided for us, however, provides a framework for our knowledge of him and the need to press further into him who was expressed, who was expressed as a model for us and who is our Savior. I believe that each of the miracles of Christ is a revelation of him and they are meant to show us what he came to do with anyone who accepts him. We need to desire the presence and the power of Christ on a deeper and intimate level, such a level that is so strong that darkness cannot stand. That was the purpose of Christ when he called the new creations out of the world. I will build my church, said our Lord. And the effect will be that the gate of hell won't prevail over it. This is an inheritance for us. We are to come to the level in God when we combat with the devil, not with and in our own strength, but in the power of God. Daniel was so full of that power that the wife of Nebuchadnezzar recommended him, saying, There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, the astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. In as much as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named, whom the king named, named whom the king named Bethshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and I will give the interpretation. Was Daniel a magician? No. Was he an astrologer? No. What was about him? God's power dwelt within his being. To make us enter into this kind of grace and virtue, Christ laid down his life. God's goal in redemption is to bring us closer and establish a relationship with us so that by that relationship we may bring others into the reality we have encountered by the propitiational sacrifice of Christ. This is the old truth of the gospel. The gospel is the disclosure of God's mercy. It is the disclosure of God's love. It is the disclosure of God's grace and consideration for mankind. What is in the biography? It is the biography of the great, distinct and successful people that are usually written. For instance, have you come across the biography of Satan before? Or anyone that died destitute or frustrated. No, no one celebrates failures. The devil was a complete failure. When a biography is written, nothing matters to the narrator more than the deeds of his major actor. This is so because this is so because nothing reveals a man more than his deeds, his words, and what people say or think about him. Much more, the motive that moved the actor to act. To talk, to relate as he did through his life may be examined also. Yet there is still something underlying, underlying tones within the soul of the hero or heroine or heroine that must be uncovered. And this may be uncovered only by close associates or relatives. Jesus was concerned about what men of his days thought about him because he knows that what people think about him about him will really affect or greatly affect their relationship with him. So one day in Caesar Philippa, he asked his disciples, who do men say he was? Jesus was concerned about what men of his days thought about him. And I know that he is still concerned about what our view of him is today. We would never explore God beyond our knowledge of him. 
That is why the writer of the epistles began their messages writing, Grace and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I feel this statement is more than greetings. It is a revelation by itself. The amount of God we know is the measure of Him we will enjoy. How we need to press into God far beyond our regular and secular knowledge of God through folk tales, books, teachings, talks, messages. Apostle John told us there is a far more of Jesus they never revealed. So how do we assess those parts they never revealed or released to us? We must push for it in prayer and intercession. John chapter 20 30 to 31 says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There is more to Jesus Christ than an average man in the church knows there is. He knows that Jesus was born in a manger. He was the son of a carpenter whose name was Joseph. He knows that Jesus performed miracles, healed the sick, cast out demons, taught powerfully, exercised power over nature, until one day when he was arrested, nailed to the cross, he died, he was buried in the grave for three days, then, after which he resurrected, appeared to his disciples for a period of 40 days, and after which he went back to where he came from. Those are the facts about Jesus. They are the they are the record of his human identity and his earthly activities. Jesus is not just a historical heroic figure. He's not just a heroic, he's not just a heroic or historic figure. He's far bigger than whatever we have thought he is. He's far bigger than whatever we have thought he could be or he was. And except God Himself help us to see the glorified Jesus as he was and as he is and he would be forever we will never enter into the dimension he had procured for he had procured for us to operate in john edmiston wrote in his book titled the messiah every recorded part of jesus's life has a redemptive meaning including his birth childhood ministry resurrection ascension and return sure the cross is central and it always will be, but it is also the central part of redeeming life. Every aspect of Jesus' life has, has some significant and with some great significance for us. Jesus is everything you may think of. That is why you can't fix him in the class of great philosophers like Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, Galileo, or Karl Marx, or many other contemporary philosophers. Jesus can be regarded a prophet. is far more than a prophet. A prophet declares what lies ahead in future but does not affect it. A prophet cannot create. It depends on God's revelation or hunches to give guidance or a message. But Jesus himself is the revelation and the spirit that spoke to the prophet. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 1, the scripture says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant. Jesus Christ himself was and is a giver of revelation. He alone knows the Father. He alone, he alone revealed the Father to us. He's not just a miracle worker. He is God. He is God's gift and God's miracle for mankind. Hallelujah. Apostle John declared that he wrote out of much reservation of what Jesus was. That is, there is more of him. 
John didn't disclose. He disclosed the few things he documented in his account for one reason, that we may know that Jesus Christ is the Christ and much more by knowing we may enter into his experience and partake of his, of his very life and nature. Jesus Christ didn't come in history to display his power, wisdom and glory alone. He came to impart us and to impart something in our spirit. He came to reveal God. Again, he came for restoration, that is to restore the missing glory. Apostle Paul wrote, All have seen and have fallen short of the glory of God. Man meets something. It was the glory of God. Christ came for the restoration of this missed glory. For the restoration of this glory, Jesus Christ came. He was not just a healer, he is life. He is earth because he named his life, and the life is the light, the direction, the beauty, and the illumination of humanity. We are very fortunate to have Jesus Christ revealed to us on four dimensions in each of the Gospels. God made this provision, I believe, to give us four scopes in knowing his son. He allowed each of the synoptic writers of Jesus' life to include in their account the reason why they wrote. Each presented Jesus from different perspectives and revelations. I don't just believe that the Synoptic Gospel writers review Jesus' life alone. It reveals my life. The various accounts made me believe that there are four dimensions to every man, just as there are, just as there are four dimensions to Christ. Moreover, each of these dimensions are to be fully lived by all in equal proportion. If we do this, we will live the most fulfilled life. Jesus Christ did in history what no one had done. He was and is the most influential leader in the world. Influential in the sense that he didn't have admirers alone. He had and has followers who do not only speak much of their masters, but whose life were and completely submerged and changed by the radiation of the life of their masters. Jesus is no wise. His wisdom himself is so influential that no one had been so discussed as he was and is. No one had changed life as he had done. No one had laid down his life as he had done. No one had said what he had said. This is not religion. This is life itself manifested. It is my goal that by the grace of God we would see Jesus far beyond what had been selectively handed over to us by the apostles. John 21-25 There are also many other things that Jesus Christ did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the word itself would not contain the books that would be written. Amen. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have touched, which, which we have handled, and which we have looked upon concerning the word of life, that the life that was with the Father was manifested, and we have seen him. The synopsis of Jesus' life. It is not just enough to know that we are standing in the place of Christ today and that we have been given this assignment of reconciliation as God's agent on earth. We must study the life of the one who have called us to stand for him. We don't need to be bothered about doing this. Jesus' life is well written about all through the scriptures. Let me present two scholarly works on the person of Jesus as seen in the four synoptic gospels. Here is the first one. In Matthew, Jesus is portrayed as Israel's savior and the king of the Jews. This genealogy demonstrates that Jesus is the rightful heir of the kingdom and that he was promised 
that Jesus is the rightful heir to the kingdom that was promised to David and his descendants. The remainder of the book emphasizes that Jesus was that Jesus had the credential to be Israel to be Israel's Messiah. Mark wrote to the people of the Roman Empire who are unfamiliar with the religion of the Jews. Mark is a gospel of action. Jesus is portrayed as a servant of the Lord doing the job that God has sent him to do. Thus, the emphasis is on doing. Mark shows that Jesus got the job done. Consequently, Mark's gospel records more miracles of Jesus than Matthew, Luke, and John. Luke was written to those more intellectually minded. Luke is not writing as an eyewitness, but as one who is recording eyewitnesses' testimony. His portrayal of Jesus is as the perfect man. Hence, he focuses on those events in Jesus' life that stresses his humanity. The Greeks in their art and literature were always looking for the perfect man. The Gospel of Luke presents that man. The things John recorded were for the purpose of establishing the fact that Jesus was the eternal God. Who became a man, John wanted his readers to exercise faith towards Jesus. In summary, in Matthew, Jesus is the son of David. In Mark, Jesus is the son of man. In Luke, Jesus is the son of Adam. In John, he is the son of God. In Matthew, Jesus is the king. In Mark, Jesus is the servant. In Luke, Jesus is the perfect man. In John, he is God. He was God from all eternity who came down to earth as the perfect man. He was the Messiah of Israel, the king of the of the Jews, the one who did the job that God sent him to do. This is the testimony of the four Gospels. The second scholarly work is presented below. Matthew is a Gospel written by a Jew to a Jew about a Jew. Matthew is the writer, his countrymen are the readers, and Jesus Christ is the subject. Matthew's design is to present Jesus as the King of the Jews, the long-awaited Messiah. Through a careful selected series of Old Testament quotations, Matthew documents Jesus Christ's claim to be the Messiah. His genealogy, baptism, messages, and miracles all point to the same inescapable conclusion. Christ is King. Even in his death, in his seemingly defeat which eventually turned out to victory by the resurrection and the message again echoes forth the emphasis of the writer the king of the jews lives the message of mark's gospel is captured in a single verse for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many chapter by chapter the book unfolds the dual focus of Christ's life, service, and sacrifice. Mark portrays Jesus as a servant on the move, instantly responsive to the will of the Father by preaching, teaching, and healing. He ministers to the needs of others, even to the point of death. After the resurrection, he commissions his followers to continue his work in his power, servant following in the steps of the perfect servant. Luke, a physician, writes, with the compassion and warmth of a family doctor as he carefully documents the perfect humanity of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Luke emphasizes Jesus' ancestry, birth and early life before moving carefully and chronologically through his, early, through his earthly ministry. 
growing belief and growing opposition develop side by side. Those who believe are challenged to count the cost of discipleship. Those who oppose will not be satisfied until the Son of Man hangs lifeless on a cross. But the resurrection ensures that his purpose will be fulfilled to seek and save that which was lost. Just as a coin has two valid sides, so Jesus Christ has two natures, both valid. Luke presents Christ in his humanity as the Son of Man. John portrays him in his deity as the Son of God. John's purpose is crystal clear to set forth Christ in his deity in order to spark believing faith in his readers. John's gospel is topical as well as chronological and it revolves around seven miracles and seven I am statements of Christ. Following an extended eyewitness description of the upper room meal and disclosure, John records events leading to the resurrection, the final climatic proof that Jesus is who he claims to be, the Son of God. God's ultimate intention. Mankind has left God's presence and he lacks the ability to assess it and stay there as he once did. Christ died to bring us back into the presence of God which we have lost. Now we are restored because there was an atonement by the blood of Jesus Christ. God punished himself for our wrongs. Christ died so that I can live. To live is to live in God's presence. Anything that can't live in God's presence is completely dead and can't access God. We come into God's presence by receiving salvation in Christ, by believing that He is the Lord, by believing that all He did, He did for all. That is how we come into the presence of God. He is the living God. He that has life and mortality in, in Himself. So through Christ's death, we were reconciled and have been brought near. We were reconciled. Reconciliation is not the ultimate goal anyway, nor is it access into God's presence or His glory. It is intimacy. Reconciliation becomes necessary because without it, there can't be the union on which intimacy will be grounded. What was God's intention when He mapped out the cause of salvation and executed it at the expense and humiliation of Himself? Reconciliation? No. Forgiveness? No. Wealth? No. Just wanting intimacy what is the goal of intimacy the goal of intimacy is oneness and knowledge the knowledge of the parties involved in the relationship is essential in the relationship that the two know each other too well that they can represent each other without any differentiation that they know each other character the physical structure the voice the tone the mood the interest, the displeasure of each of the partners involved in the relationship. That is the goal of intimacy. Self-knowledge, self-recognition, fellowship, oneness. God intended that in our relationship with Him that each of the party knows Him so well that we can represent Him. That is why the scripture says we are His ambassador. That is, the goal of intimacy is so that one party can so know his friend to the point that he can vote for him or her. That was God's goal in redemption. He reconciled us because he wants us to know him through and through and thereby cast aside our wrongs, our ridiculous and ignoble conception of him. So Christ died to bring us back to God. You who through Christ have 
known the Father and are known of Him. No one has seen the Father at any time, but the only begotten Son revealed Him. Jesus didn't come to talk about God. Ordinarily, men and bright men as of those philosophers have done that. God does not long to be discussed but to be known. That was and that is God's goal, that we come to know Him. How does this fact affect us? In a lot of ways, now we see God as He is because of the atonement of Christ. Now we know that He is not terrible. He is not a bitter God on the outlook for people to devolve unreasonably. Now we know that God is not a master or a creator so difficult to please. Now we know that the Father is justice and love. He is the very every good and perfect gift James talked about. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 to 22, we read, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? It requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases Him and love Him and serve Him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's command and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the object of his love, and he chose you and he chose you their descendant above all other nations, as it is evident today. Therefore change therefore change your heart and stop being stubborn. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, he is the great God, the mighty and the handsome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He knows love. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners, for you yourself were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oath must be in his name alone. He alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of your praise, the one who has done these mighty miracles that you have seen with your own eyes. When your ancestors went down into Egypt, there were only 17 of them. But now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars, as the stars in the sky. Reflection Lord, help me to lay hold on you. Help me to touch your very being, not just to touch the hem of your garment alone. This we do for others, but not for me. I desire the whole of you, your very substance. That was what Christ came for. So I positioned myself for this. Help me touch a better side of you, your whole being, your whole essence. It is my greatest desire that I will enter into the experience of Christ's power, into the experience of his grace, and that by his grace and by the grace of God, I will experience total transfiguration. But we all, with an open veil, be holding as it were were in the mirror the glory of God and we have been transformed into the same image just as by the Spirit of the Lord.